The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from many different locations around the world. And there is Dr. Doreen Grampichet who is joining us live this morning and we're thrilled to be here with her. Good morning, Dr. Grampichet. Good morning. And I apologize. I had to I couldn't hear you. Okay. Well, we, I just want to say to everybody, we keep, uh, we keep trying. There are all kinds of uh, internet things that we're doing, but we're going to get them all solved. We are, we are, we're working on it. Um, I'm going to take just a minute here at the top of the show to remind all of you that this show is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns. And especially this morning, we have Dr. Grampichet here, and she wants to hear from you and to know what's going on with you and how she might be of help to you. I'm gonna give you the disclaimer now that there is no expert of any uh, caliber, and believe me, Dr. Grampichet is the, of the highest caliber, but there is no expert who can give individual specific advice in this format. So when you're writing in, <clears throat> excuse me, you wanna tell her as much as you can about the specific circumstances that are going on with you or someone you love, um, and she will give you resources and information about things having to do with that topic that will help you when you go back to your expert that's local. But let's take a second to talk about the different ways that you can connect and that you can have your question potentially answered here live on the air. So uh, we are live right now on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, and Facebook Live. We are also live on our homepage, autism-live.com. I see many of you that are writing in this morning and already saying good morning. Uh, we hope that you will take part and write in your questions or your concerns. We, we this is our favorite part of the week, right? To get to be, <coughs> excuse me, interactive with you is the dream, right? That's all that's, <laughs> that we want. That's the thing that's really reinforcing for all of us. And especially when I have the expert here who can answer your questions, it makes me super happy. So we're saying good morning to Heather, Amanda, Parker, Michelle, Kirsten, um, and we're going to get to some of your questions in just a second. But I want you to take a look at the second uh, column here, because the first column is all the places that we are live and then we record, so that we're, we're available recorded there as well. But the second column is where we podcast to. So you can see that there's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, which is brand new. I hope you guys will check it out. Google Podcasts and Deezer. Those are just some of the places that we podcast to. We are a free download on all of them. There is no cost ever to the viewer uh, in the formats that we are on. In fact, that's sort of our litmus test for whether I just lost an earbud. There we go. 
it's that kind of a day, folks. It's that kind of a day. In any case, we hope that you will not only tune in and find your answers and find more questions, because I think that's a lot, a large part of the journey, but <clears throat> we also hope that you will share, that you will tell other friends and family, anybody that you think can benefit from this, that you will like us, that you will uh, subscribe to our different channels wherever you watch, that you'll give us a review on iTunes if you download us on iTunes. We love to hear from you and we love it when you guys share us with other families. That's literally how people find us is through people like you. So please uh, let the world know if, uh, and yes, if you write in here, somebody just wrote, can Dr. Doreen give advice? I'm going to put an asterisk there and say that she can give you information, but it should not be considered advice in this format. So let's talk a little bit about her and how fabulous she is. She is a true expert in the field of autism. She is the founder of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. She's also the founder of the wonderful charity Autism Care Today. She is a true uh, visionary in the field of autism, not just an expert, but, but I don't mean to, I, I, I never want to minimize the expertise part of it because she's been working in this field for, I lose track. I mean, you tell me all the time, but I just don't believe it, Dr. Grampichet. Uh, so, but you've been working in this for how long? 42 years. I started in 1978, Shannon. You don't even look 42. This is why I have a problem with it. My brain rejects it and goes, no, that can't be. Okay. Um, so, But uh, I do want to point out that she has been working in this field for a really long time and in a lot of different capacities with a lot of different people of different ages and different abilities. And I do want to say that um, I don't know anybody in this field, and I've met a lot of people in this field who is more concerned about the individual and the rights of that individual to be able to be who they are um, and be their best possible self. So that is, that's the highest praise that I can give someone in this field and she embodies that. So please feel free to write in and ask for, you know, what she knows about a topic, right? But just understand that she can't give in individual specific advice, right? Uh, and someone says she's timeless. Well, what a wonderful thing Thank for you. someone to say about you. Uh, okay, I kind of, I, I want to get to a question that came in in the middle of the night first. Uh, Dr. Grampiche, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Dear Dr. Doreen, I get, I get in trouble all the time for being too blunt. <laughs> and I did not write this. This is somebody else's word, but it's true of me as well. Uh, one of my quirks is that I don't really care about people uh, I don't really care about people I don't know dying or their deaths. I say that out loud or on a tweet or on other social media, and I get yelled at and treated like a pariah. I don't understand this at all. I had empathy as a child. I am 23 and on the spectrum. Do I have no empathy? Am I too blunt for my own good? Please help me. Oh, that's, uh, so, and, and Shannon, I, before I start, and good morning, everyone, I just want to make sure that I there's no delay and that you can hear me okay, because I am on Wi-Fi right now. Um, there is a delay between the two of us, but when you're speaking, I am seeing your lips move in concert, but there is a delay between the two of us, so everybody will just have to deal with the pause. Okay. So um, I just wanted to, uh, it's kind of timely that this question came in, watching 
And um, it is such an incredibly touching uh, show. You lagged really bad right there. So they didn't, I know what show you're talking about, but we didn't get to hear it. You froze for a second. So, uh, and, and now uh, Traven has uh, taken us both off for a second. So I, I, he must be doing something. But I, can, can you? No. We're out. Yeah, um, I can hear you okay, and I can, um, I don't know if you can hear me and see me. I can hear you. I can hear you. I can't see you, but I can hear you. There we go. Okay. There we go. Um, and sorry, Trayvon, I know you're always trying to make this better for us, and, and I'll eventually figure it out here. So, um, yeah, I was just saying that this past week I was watching the uh, Love on the Spectrum show, which is such a delightful show. And um, I think it just remind it gave me every possible emotion, uh, laughter, sadness, you know, everything. And it just reminded me of so many of the very subtle emotions that are uh, adults on the spectrum experience. And I think this is a great example of that. So I, I want to uh, tell the viewer who wrote in, um, it's not that you don't have empathy. It's about being able to see other people's perspectives. Um, so I think you shouldn't worry about the emotional part of it. It should, it's at this point, it's more about being able to see how other people feel, how other people perceive the world um, and, and learning about perspective taking. And, and um, I'm trying to think what is the best resource I can give you because we do have a lot of lessons on this issue. And perhaps if you are interested in reading a book, um, you should read some of the work of Simon Baron Cohen and Francesca Happy. Last name is H-A-P-P-E. Um, these two folks are, uh, are professors in Cambridge, England, and they have developed a lot of um, literature and research and uh, treatment ideas around this concept of how you can learn to uh, see the world from other people's perspectives. And, and believe me, that if you can develop that skill, it's not just going to help in regards to showing empathy, it's going to help in, in regards to understanding many, many other aspects of why people do what they do. So I really recommend that. Okay, wonderful. Uh, and I and I love, love, love that you wrote in to us and that you're here with us and sending you a hug, um, a virtual one. So uh, hopefully that doesn't make you uncomfortable. Um, all right, I wanna answer, have you answer some of the questions that we've had uh, and uh, talk about some of the things that people are writing in. We got a lot of people writing in from the UK, which is super fabulous. Uh, somebody says, I'm a special ed teacher and run into your program a couple of months ago. Love Dr. Doreen and Ms. Shannon. We love you back. They say, I wonder uh, whether I could ask a question about how to teach a very diverse special education class. My students copy and feed off of each other's problem behaviors in the classroom, and it is just so uh, chaotic. 
I also find design learning goals very challenging. High level students often find content too easy and look bored, while lower level students find content hard and engage in, in escape um, behaviors. I was adding maintained, it wasn't there. Um, so first of all, we love when teachers write in, don't we? I mean, teachers yes. are the answer to most problems. Yes. And I I love this in particular, who is mm -hmm. so uh, right on, like you are just touching on some of the most important aspects of a good classroom. So welcome and thanks for joining us. Um, I guess the first part of your question is um, the harder part, which has to do with kind of how do you manage children who are uh, diverse, they have all different issues, and I'm guessing you have at least 20 of them in your classroom, and um, it is very, very difficult when some of the children start doing things that are not appropriate, and the other children start imitating, and so on. So um, the second part of your question might actually be the answer also for the first part. So let me start with that, because I think children tend to uh you know uh run havoc and be chaotic and and do a lot of different things in the classroom when the material they're learning is not the appropriate level so either it's too easy or it's too hard um and you know if it's too hard they basically give up and just find other ways to engage and if it's too easy they just get bored and around and start trying to find things that will entertain them. So I really think it has more to do with like the best thing you can do other than ask for additional help from the school. Obviously, if the school could give you a couple of aids in your classroom, that would be very helpful. But if that's not possible, then I really think that's what you could do is try to uh, produce material that is more uh, engaging and more appropriate to the functioning level of each of your students. And that resource I can give you. So that is skills. And if you go to um, the website skillsforautism.com, um, you will find uh, a heaven of lessons. I mean, there are, uh, depending on the age of your children, uh, there are over 4,000 lessons there for children below the age of eight, and then another 4,000 or so for children over that age. So um, I would say that you should start there, acclimate yourself, become a skills, get a skills license, and then you can really go in there and play around because, you know, you will have all sorts of lessons there, not just uh, academic lessons, but you, and, and there's a lot of things also that you can print out. Uh, there's worksheets that you can print out. There's uh, IEP goals that are specifically listed and written for each lesson. But then there's also lessons that focus on non-academic things, you know, things like social behavior, language, uh, cognitive behavior, uh, executive functions, depending on what you are able to and allowed to work on in your classroom, I promise you, you'll find a lot of things that will be more engaging for each of your children. The way skills usually works is that each child has their own account so that 
it, it generates a list of lessons for the child and the lessons are very, very appropriate to your child. And so we're, we're, what you'd like to like for your kids. You're freezing just a little bit. I just wanted to warn you. Um, but go ahead. You're back now. So. Nope. Yeah. So I was just saying okay. that as a teacher, I think I'm frozen again. Oh. Am I? No, no, we, am have I? You now. Yeah. we have you now. We are. We, oh. we see you now. Yeah, I was just, okay. I was just saying that as a teacher, once you get on skills, I'm sure you'll find a lot of different ways to uh, select lessons and do all the wonderful things that you need for your kids. So, and if you get lesson plans that are more appropriate for each child, then I think that that will help also with keeping the kids from imitating bad behaviors. Wonderful. Now we've had another uh, special education teacher write in from India with some very specific questions. But before I get into that, um, because we brought up skills, uh, I want to give the weekly report of what they've sent, uh, of what they're offering. Because every week in COVID, they have been offering free trainings to parents and to educators, which I think is really remarkable. So this week they have said, uh, for our ABA parents and guardians, we would like to offer free IBT, IBT excuse me, parent e-learning course, Parent Starting to Teach. And for the educator community, we are offering the IBT Educator e-learning module, Educator Useful Strategies. How well is that in keeping with what Perfect. we're talking about? And these are available at no charge. I'm going to give you a, uh, a phone number in a minute. Um, and, and we're going to talk about when you're overseas, how you want to deal with this. Uh, I also want to let you know that they're saying we will continue our RBT, which is the Registered Behavior Technician 2.0 training course. That is free for our parent audience on a case-by-case -case basis. So you have to reach out to them and ask for it and tell them why you want to do it. That is a 40-hour training course for caregivers. It, it, uh, well, it actually isn't for caregivers. It's for uh, beginning therapist to get that designation as a registered behavior technician. It's the first step along the way, and they're offering it to parents because they know it'll help you free at no charge, but you have to specifically say that you want it and that you're willing to do the 40-hour course. It's You can do it on your own time, but they really want to know that people are motivated to do it because a lot of parents, let's be honest, don't have the time right now to do that. But if you want to, case by case, they will give it to you for free. It's like a $440 value. In addition, we will continue to offer a 10% discount on all skills products for anyone who is referred from Autism Live. All you have to do is, is call the number I'm going to give you. And if you're overseas, you can email me and I will connect you. And somebody did that this week. Um, and you just say, I saw it on Autism Live. I want the Shannon friends and family discount. Uh, you don't really have to say that. That's my little joke, but I love it when you say that. Uh, <laughs> because you are friends and family of mine and you should get a discount. Uh, so the phone number, are, is everybody ready for this? And I think Traven probably has it up on the screen as well. 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. And if you're emailing me because you're overseas, um, 
Traven will put my email up there. There it is. It's s.penrod, P-E-N-R-O-D, at autism-live.com. And we look forward to hearing from you guys and connecting you to that really wonderful, fabulous resource, Skills and IBT. IBT stands for the Institute for Behavioral Training. Uh, okay, I want to continue on with some questions here. Uh, hi, tuning in from the UK, do you have any suggestions for how we can explain to neurotypical children what autism is? I find it difficult to explain to a child what neurodevelopmental means. Yes, well, sending you a hug because that is hard, isn't it? Dr. Grampiche, yeah. what advice do you have? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one and it has a lot to do with the the child who the, the child you're trying to explain things to, how old is that child? Because really, I, I don't, I'm not a big uh, supporter of labels or like names. It doesn't really matter to me. And I think for young children, it just is a matter of them understanding that autism is a different way of processing information in the world. That's kind of how I like to explain it, because I think that our uh, kids on the spectrum receive information from the world differently. Uh, they have sometimes, uh, I don't want to say difficulty because it is just difference uh, in how they receive visual information and how they receive auditory information is just different. They hear things that we we don't necessarily see. So it's just different. And because their input of information is different, then I would say uh, that leads to different learning, obviously. So then, so therefore, what they learn and what they output or what they uh, express is also going to be different. So I just think that for other children, for siblings, for instance, it would be important for them to realize that uh, people on the spectrum are just different in the sense that they experience the world differently and that affects how they interact. It affects how they communicate. Um, and so as a result, we sort of, uh, the goal is to try to uh, interact with those individuals, both on their court and on our court. So to some extent, I think what we aim to do is to to you know bring the two forms of communication together um, so that we can better understand each other. But really, again, it has a lot to do with the age of the child you're trying to talk to because a young child is any child, honestly, anyone is going to have a hard time understanding you know neurodevelopmental. Uh, and essentially, I don't know that there's any point to it. Let me tell you that. Uh, we fought for something like 10 or 15 years just to uh, get autism to be considered a, a you know, a, a neurological developmental issue uh, for a long, long time, if, you know, over the course of years. I don't know if our viewers know, uh, back in the 70s even, uh, it was believed that autism has to do with parenting. Uh, you know, and when that was, uh, that when when people realized how ridiculous those theories are, 
then it was kind of like, well, we're not quite sure. Is this a beha purely behavioral type of issue? Uh, and then it wasn't until many years later that it was realized that there's a obviously this is not a learned disorder and there are like a lot of biomedical issues and environmental sensitivities and things that underlie it. And I always say, Shannon, that the diagnostic manual uh, changes every few years, right? From the time that I've been, I've been studying psychology and, and talking to people, it's changed four times. And every single time, uh, the one disorder that has changed its definition and its symptoms is autism. And not all the other, uh, there's many, many, many pages of other types of issues that are listed in there and they don't change. Autism has changed every single time. And that tells me that we don't really know all that much about autism. So, you know, explaining it in some way is, is very difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I, we've got people writing in uh, with how they explain it. And I just want to say really quickly for me, because, you know, I think as any of you can understand, as a parent of an individual on the autism spectrum, I remember um, asking early on, so what exactly is this? And everybody kept giving me these answers that I couldn't wrap my head around. And I was trying to describe it to my mom. <clears throat> and my mom said, you need to get this together. You need to be able to concisely tell people so that they'll be able to understand. And I wanted to do it in a way that um, was easy enough that I, that children of a certain age that I could explain. So for me, as Dr. Grampy-Shea said, it depends on the age and the ability of understanding of the individual. But I sort of have a line. If it's people who already understand computers, which now sometimes that's a five-year-old, right? Depending. Uh, if somebody, and, and I t explain it this way to 42-year-olds too, that I say, uh, do you, you know, do you work on a Mac or a PC, <laughs> right? Which one, which, which one of those do you do? Or I'll say to kids, do you know the difference between a Mac and a PC? And sometimes a five-year-old does, a savvy five-year-old. Um, and I say to them, you know, is one better than the other? They're very different and they process information in a different way. But you can put apps on them so that they can process the same information in similar ways, but the, the core of it, they process things in a different way. So PCs, you know, sometimes they are a little bit better at some things than a Mac is, but there are things with a Mac that are much better, but the processing is different. But you can't rule them out and say one is significantly better than the other, but if you only had a Mac and you wanted to do what the PC does and you didn't give it an app, it would struggle, right? And so I tell them that is like autism. You're a PC, your brother is a Mac. They're both good. They're both fine. You can converse with your brother, but we're going to have to download an app for you and your brother can converse with you, but he's going to have to download an app. If they're younger than five, this is what we did um, for Jem and his friends. We did basically a, a storybook with pictures of him and his friends. That, um, and, you know, uh, it's basically, uh, you know, it's uh, my name is Jem and I have autism. And we would go into his classrooms and read this when he was really young with the kindergartners and he would read the story and, and it talks about autism. And somebody said recently that we should do a template so that people could make these on their own. But it talks about how I have autism, but I have a mom and a dad and I have, a, you know, I have two hands, I have two feet, I have a Star Wars video game. 
And then it talks about what kinds that sometimes people with autism are boys, sometimes they're girls, sometimes they can talk, sometimes they can't. And it goes on to say, um, there's a part in here, oh, this is the one, sometimes people with autism can talk, sometimes they can't. Um, it says, I can talk, but sometimes I don't know what to say or how to say it. This is when he was really little. It's storybook time, Dr. Grampy-Shay. And it talks it. about his, his friends. And, um, but there's the, my favorite part of this book is when he explains, uh, he says, sometimes new friends think I'm weird. Um, sometimes make fun of me because I'm different, but I like being different. Um, so he talks about eye contact and how sometimes it's hard for him. And he and I wrote this together when he was five. Um, and, but anyway, there's a part in here where he describes stimming. Um, he says, sometimes people with autism do things that seem strange to other people like hum or make noises or do something funny with their hands. Uh, sometimes it just feels good to do it like when some people tap their toe to music. And it was our way of normalizing it for him and for his friends. And I can tell you my favorite story is that we read this in his kindergarten class and the teacher uh, told me the next day that one of the girls came up to her in class and said, I wish I had autism. It's clearly yeah. a cool thing to have. And I thought, well, now we've done something. Um, because then that group of kids went all through school with him and they were just like, oh, you know, that's just Jem and he's fabulous. And, you know, he just sees things a little bit differently than us, but they didn't value him differently, which was wonderful. But I love um, that one of our uh, viewers here said that, um, I explain it like this, our, because they identify as being on the spectrum. Our hearing is like dogs hearing. We hear things that normal people can't. And that they like on Arthur, on the cartoon Arthur, um, Arthur had a really good explanation. And if you have little kids, you might want to show that episode of Arthur. I also like how Julia explains it and how Sesame Street has explained it. There are lots of good resources out there. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to turn it into storybook time, but that really helped us is to have yeah. that. And it's just, you know, we just printed it out and we had fun making it and anyway. I love it. Can I add something to that, Shannon? I just yeah. want to say that um, one of the things that's really important, I think, is that we've, we are so focused on trying to explain to other people um, the things that our kids cannot do um, that we forget to also mention all the amazing things they can do. Um, and sometimes that is super important. Like, and, and if you don't know what those things are, try to dis discover those things. Because a lot of our kids have uh, really amazing talents that only appear a little bit later when we investigate. You know, our kids are, tend to have very uh, amazing artistic talents. Uh, musical talents, uh, their memories are often amazing. So I would really recommend that that you look at all of those things. And then also, I love the book idea, but if you make a book like that, put some of that in there too, because I think yeah. it's super important for younger kids to kind of see that, oh, well, maybe this person has a hard time talking, but they can do these cool things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I think it's important because we always want to be um, building self-esteem. And I think it's incumbent upon us that we 
I love Sesame Street. And I said this one because we had the actress on who does the puppetry for Julia. We had her on the show. And uh, she's, she's a parent of an individual with autism, which I think is great synergy. She gets it. And I said, you know, what's super cool about this is that Sesame Street is um, normalizing autism and some of the traits that come with autism that neurotypical people have always looked at has been like, oh, well, that's not okay. But Sesame Street is normalizing it. And those people in 30 years are going to be the people hiring people for jobs. And yeah. what a difference that will make when they're like, oh, well, okay, this person doesn't make as much eye contact. I d I'm not putting that through a filter of they must not be respectful or they must not be confident. Because that is unfortunately what a lot of HR people think, right? And we need to negate and wipe that out. Uh, as well as giving individuals on the spectrum skills and choices, but, but changing the hearts and minds of people's presumptions of behavior, I, I think Sesame Street is doing a killer job of that. Okay, I wanna get to, um, by the way, somebody wrote in yesterday and said, how do I speak to the attorney that we had on um, the that's Bonnie Yates, um, and if you just write in to us, we'll forward your email to Bonnie Yates. You can send it directly to me. Okay, um, I'm torn between questions that came in last night and questions that are coming in right now. I think I'm going to go with the immediacy of the person right now, who is from India, special education teacher. I said we would get to this. Um, I love the program since very long. Please help me. How can I handle self-stimulatory behavior in, in class? I have a class of four to six-year-olds. There's hand flapping, continuous noise making, and clapping most often in the classroom, special education teacher in India. Yeah. Four to six-year-olds. Uh, wow. Welcome. I mean, I, I think you've probably been on the show with us before, and I just want to thank you for your persistence it's not easy to manage four to six year olds um, with self-stimulatory behaviors so um, I again as I said to the other teacher the first thing is can you get help and perhaps not from the school maybe you can get help from some of the parents who are involved. Uh, the more people the better you cannot get help then I think with self-stimulatory behaviors unfortunately the only way that you can um, divert them until they are replaced is to have an incompatible behavior. Uh, so if it's a child who, for instance, is doing something with their hands, uh, if their hands are otherwise engaged, they will not do that self-stimulatory behavior. Now, keeping the child's hands engaged might, with something appropriate might be challenging, but there are a lot of things that involve the hands. So anything from puzzles to even playing with things like Play-Doh or, you know, uh, bean uh, bags or, or containers of beans or containers of rice where the child is able to put their hands in there will help them calm things down rather than other self-stimulatory behaviors. In regards to verbal, vocal self-stimulatory behavior, it's a little bit harder. So uh, one of the things that you can try is using uh, headphones on those children and playing music or other types of engaging incoming information on headphones. Because sometimes if you are able to 
get a child engaged in in uh, headphone with headphones in music, their self-stimulatory behavior tends to go down. Um, obviously, if there if you have an aide in the classroom who is helping you, and if they are able to maybe separate the the kids who have um, vocal self-stimulatory, and while you are trying to teach the other kids, maybe those kids are engaged in something like a choral type of activity, like singing in a group or in unison, or even, you know, things like uh, saying their ABCs or things that are appropriate vocal, um, that will also help divert from the vocal stereotypes. It is it's super hard. And these kids are like four to six years old. Usually I would say you need a lot of us. Let me tell you, even when you have. We've lost your audio, Dr. Grant Pichet. Uh, and I think you were saying that you need a lot of assistance in the classroom, that four to six, is that what you were, can you hear me? Okay, were you saying that? that yeah, I can hear you. One, one, one. Okay. I can yeah, hear I you again hear now. Yeah, I hear a lot of background. Yeah, but I also hear a lot of background noise. Um, so I'm not sure if that's maybe cutting me off, but, but sorry about that. No, no. I don't, I don't know uh, what is causing that. I just want to, we don't talk enough on the show about Camp Discovery. And I don't know if they have access to um, even one iPad in, in their school. But I know that um, we had a, a preschool teacher in Puerto Rico who was writing to us a couple of years ago about how uh, having Camp Discovery in his classroom on a single iPad changed the dynamic of the classroom. And right. then he lobbied to get um, additional iPads for each one of the children. And he said that it, it literally was dizzying how fast the kids were learning, how absorbed they were in Camp Discovery, and how much more productive his classroom became. Because not only did kids want to be on the iPad and they were learning on the iPad, but they were working to get the iPad. Um, yeah. They were willing to do things that were hard for them before so that they could have that iPad time. And Camp Discovery, for those of you who don't know, is a wonderful, um, it's a game on devices that you can get. It's a free download in the Apple or the Google Play Store. And it is a companion piece to skills. If you already have a skills account, in your skills account, it has a code for Camp Discovery. And when you go into the game, there's a place where it says, do you have... Um, the skills key and you will put that in and it and then it will track the progress that the child makes and graph it in the skills account which is just extra fabulous right um but if you don't have a skills account you can still do camp discovery and it teaches uh early language skills to kids in that age range and it's really been shown to be wildly successful has it not dr grampiche yeah, absolutely. And and uh, so Camp Discovery is on the iTunes library. So if, if you have access to apps, it is there. But uh, also, and that you bring up a very good point, Shannon, which is kind of the same thing we said to the prior question, which is the more kids are engaged in something that is appropriate to their level of functioning, the less they're going to be doing engaging in self-stimulatory behaviors. So Really, uh, I think Shannon has a very good point. I would, I would try to really give each child 
uh, an activity that is going to be very uh, engaging. And don't worry about trying to do this all day long. If you have like one hour even during the day of high quality education, it's better than trying for six hours to get everybody to be under control, you know? So I would really say, you know, focus on short stints of trying to give them worksheets or uh, other types of computerized games and things that will keep them engaged. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So good morning. My five-year-old son has a diagnosis of autism in which the ability to communicate in the native language of the country where we live, which is Swiss German, predominates. He has achieved a basic level of communication in Spanish, which is his mother tongue. He receives uh, Logopedia at the kindergarten he is attending, but after almost a year, he has made almost no progress. What other alternative can you suggest in the current circumstances of isolation and difficulty of socialization? And another situation is the verbal abuse uh, he receives from the children. What do you suggest that, as a, uh, that I as a mother do about it? And thanks for your help. Sure. That's a, that's a lot a of elements there. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. And I don't know, unfortunately, the Swiss German uh, education system well enough. Um, but I think I can maybe give you a couple of resources. Um, so first of all, I think you should talk to the school um, and try to engage them in helping you establish an ABA program in for your child. Um, and that an ABA program will basically break down the very uh, basic skills that your child needs and then will uh, uh, using behavioral techniques one to one. So there will be a, an ABA therapist and we'll talk about how to get all this um, uh, teaching your child individual skills and as your child uh, learns more and more skills, uh, obviously not only will they be able to enjoy the classroom and their peers, but also they will get more out of it and fewer people will uh, be bullying, right? Because they'll be more socially engaged. But until that happens, um, I, I, I mean, first of all, it's, it's the last part, which is kind of the bullying really, really upsets me. Um, because that's just not appropriate. I do happen to have two former students. So uh, someone who used to work at CARD in the US who lives in Switzerland, not wrong. We're, you're breaking up really bad. So we're not getting the sense of what you're saying. Try back? again. Yeah, you're back. Okay. Yeah, so I was just saying that I can give you, Shannon, the information for uh, one of my former students who lives in the French part of Switzerland, which is Lausanne, and she might be able to give you a lot more information about programs and what you can do there. I also, I mean, Swiss Germany, German portion of Swiss Switzerland, you're speaking German, uh, Swiss German. Um, but I do also have another contact who is in Germany who does ABA. Both of these individuals are trained in ABA, trained by us at CARD. 
So um, they would be able to help you maybe. But I also want to make sure you know of the resources we have handed out, Shannon. And if you don't mind, since your connection is better than mine, uh, maybe giving out the information on IBT and skills again, because I think both of those might be helpful to this individual. Absolutely. I just had to unmute myself. Absolutely. I can give you that information again. Hang on one second and I will get to it. Uh, I had shrunk it. I just don't know where I put it. Uh, so just to make sure you guys know, IBT is uh, the Institute for Behavioral Training. And it is, you can get there by, go, by going to www.ibehavioraltraining.com. That is on your screen right now. Um, but I also read to you guys every week, there is a, an email that we get from them with free things that they offer. If you would like to explore some of the free things that are available to you, and of course, Traven, you can put the number up for us on the screen there, and then I will read it because I can't find the email. Uh, so all you need to do is call 877-975-4559. They will be able to help you. Now, when you're trying to connect with them internationally and that, that calling that number may not be the best thing for you, really all you have to do is write to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. And Traven will also put that up on the screen. There it is, s.penrod at autism-live.com. And I am happy to connect you to the skills and IBT people. Skills is the curriculum, which is amazing. It has so many things in skills. I'm its biggest fan. Let me just be very clear about that because pretty much it's, it's like a toolkit. You don't want to try to use all the tools in one day, right? If I gave you a toolkit, you would not feel like, well, I need to use all of them. No, you, you would use the tool you need on the day that you need it, right? And people get a little overwhelmed like Disneyland when they go into skills. They're like, I don't know how to do all that. Don't worry about that. What do you need today? Do you need to know where your child is today? Then you take the assessment. Do you need to inter intervene on a behavior that's really challenging? Then you go to the part of it that is the behavior intervention builder. First, you have to do something called the CIFA to see why your child is doing it before you can intervene. Um, and if you want to know how to teach your child something, then you search uh, for that topic in the lessons. It's, it's this big, beautiful tool that can do a lot of things. Again, uh, people get overwhelmed because they go in and they're like, I, I don't know what to do first. Go in with a plan. And if you need help, you can ask the skills people or you can always ask me because it's my favorite thing in the world to help people connect to skills because uh, I know it provides answers. It's pro provided answers in my life and in so many other people's lives. IBT is the training portion of it. So if you want to know how to, well, how do you teach this lesson in skills? They'll give you some teaching tips, but if you really want to know, like, how is it that the experts do this? Then every lesson that you need to be successful with an individual teaching anyone something is in IBT. And, and, and when you go on the IBT website, they sort of have three different categories. They have a category for people who are professionals and there are videos in there for them to continue learning. And there's, they're intensive for jargon, um, but they're brilliant. And you have access to them. You don't have to have a license to have to be access to them. There's a small cost for each one of the trainings, but you know, 
they start at $7.50. So it's cheaper than going and buying a book. You know what I'm saying? There's another category that's just for educators that's specifically about how do you teach within the confines of a classroom because former teacher here, it's different, right? Different rules and you've got more kids to deal with. So there are trainings just for educators. And then there are trainings that are just for caregivers that talk about things that happen in the home that have less jargon so that they're easier to access. But you as a caregiver can take the educator ones or you can take the, the ones for professionals. And if you're an educator, you can take the parent e-learning or you can take the professional ones or you can take the edu. Anybody can do any of the videos. There's a small cost for each video you can pick and choose, although every week they offer free ones. If you call that number, and Trayvon, would you pop that up there again um, and talk to them, they will they will remind you what is free this week, and it changes pretty much every week. 877-975-4559. You will learn so much there. Uh, okay, did that finish the question? Are we moving on, or you had more you wanted to say, Dr. Grampy no, I think we're good. I mean, it's very hard to give resources um, when when it's such a dire situation, but I think that will help. I also I also have to say because um, it's something that's featured in this year's Toy and Gift Guide um, that the card book is also because some people are like, well, I want to know the whole arc of skills and how you teach somebody something, and it's and if you're going for the whole arc, you want to see you know exactly what the progression is on a, on a bunch of different things, and you are somebody who deals better with turning pages, there's also a book that you can purchase. Uh, it's Evidence-Based Treatment. Um, for, uh, what is, I always stumble over. Evidence-Based Treatment uh, in, for Autism, yeah. the card model. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is featured on our toy guide this year because we have a category that's just for caregivers. And uh, we said that that was the educational toy of the year. So there. Uh, so, hi, we're saying hi to Koyan Thing. We're so glad that you're here with us. Um, and we put the number up. Did you get it, Koyan Thing? I want to make sure that you got it. And somebody said, we are always so grateful for Dr. Doreen. Good morning. We're, we're so glad that you're here with us too. They're saying, thank you, Dr. Doreen, for your insights. Uh, we'll make sure to implement those. And they said, thank you for motivating us to me. And I, I like, that's hilarious to me because uh, you guys motivate me. So that's why that's hilarious to me. So I love this question. I got to get to this question. What percentage of children with autism do you think struggle with aggression? Why is the percentage of aggression in children with autism so much higher than in neurotypical children? Mm, that's a great question. So um, and hopefully you'll have enough of a, a Wi-Fi connection that I can talk about this a little bit. Um, so autism, you know, one of the things that I find interesting is that um, people always think that challenging behaviors are somehow part of autism, and they're not. So aggression or, you know, tantruming, throwing things, biting, running away, uh, hitting, all of those things are not part of the diagnosis of autism. They have absolutely no relation to the symptoms of autism whatsoever. They're not listed as a symptom, okay? 
So why do they occur in our kids? And the very simple answer is they occur because our kids are frustrated. And why are our kids frustrated? Just because they cannot get their communication across. So either it's because they just can't communicate vocally and they can't get their needs met, or they can communicate vocally, but not at a level that helps us really understand what it is they're trying to say. So um, just like us, if you think about it, when you get into an argument with your spouse or someone else, it's because there's a misunderstanding, right? Like two people don't understand each other. And it's the same exact thing. When we feel we have not been heard, when we feel you're just not getting me, you're not understanding what I'm trying to say, you don't understand what I want, that's when we get angry. And of course, as adults now, we've learned that we have to control our anger and we can't hit. Most adults have learned that. And, uh, and, and as children, a lot of children learn that lesson very early on, maybe at age one, two, three. You know, sometimes they learn it at home. Sometimes they learn they can't hit when they go to school. But we learn that, right? But with our kids on the spectrum, we don't learn, they don't learn that. Uh, first of all, because I think everyone is just kind of scared and backs off and they don't know. A lot of times when someone gets a diagnosis of autism, we feel like we cannot place the same continuum. We can't educate that person in the same manner. So he's autistic. I got to let him hit. That's not the case at all. And then secondly, it's because the child has way more reason to be frustrated because they can't, in most cases, they can't vocalize, they can't communicate. Uh, and to top it off, I think they also get frustrated because the sensory input from the world for them is a little bit uh, more disagreeable than it is for us. So for a lot of kids, sounds bother them, lights bother them. So, and, and a lot of our kids don't sleep. I mean, and so there's all these irritants, let's call them, or things that are frustrating and irritating. And uh, as a result, I think a lot of our kids become aggressive. They learn to communicate through aggression. Now, why does that stay? And that's a really good kind of ABA lesson. When a child wants something and they hit and they grab the item, um, if it's a typically developing child, normally what we do as parents is we'll say, that's not okay, and give that back. And they take the object back, give it to the other child or whatever it is, right? So the child who just hit learns that is not an effective way to communicate. With kids on the spectrum, when they hit and they pull something from another child, we don't really uh, reprimand. Often we'll be like, oh, it's okay, just give it to him. He can't communicate, just let him have it. And so the child on the spectrum learns that communicating with aggression is effective. And so once they've learned that communication through aggression or through tantrum, or through any of those things is effective, it remains as an effective way to communicate. 
until we teach them it isn't effective. And that is the whole key to ABA in the beginning. That's why it's not that hard to get rid of those challenging behaviors because we teach kids it is not okay to hit or uh, tantrum or do any of those challenging behaviors. Instead, it is have words to use icons, but communicate in a more appropriate way. You're muted. Uh, I, I, I was just saying that it, because you, I think it's because you've explained it to me so well over the years, it now makes total sense to me. And the thing that I always say to people is that if, if you or I were abducted by aliens and we were taken someplace and we did not we could not understand what they were saying. We didn't understand what they wanted. We didn't understand how to read their facial expressions or how to understand when they were, because they don't have fingers, they're not pointing. How long would it take me to have a total meltdown? And I, I guess that for me, it would take 14 minutes, that I would be done in 14 minutes, that I would start yelling, screaming, throwing things to see what kind of a reaction I could get. Because within 14 minutes, I would need to use the restroom, have a drink of water. I would be hot or I would be cold or I would be scared or whatever. And if I couldn't, I would try a bunch of different ways to communicate. And if I couldn't, at 14 minutes is what I think it would take me because I'm not a very tolerant person and I have sensory issues. So, you know, that's kind of our kids. If they don't have a way, any other way to read the situation, um, they're going to act out that way. And it is not just them. I just was listening to you and I had this epiphany as I always do when, when you talk, Dr. Grampy-Shay, because this morning I was really, the thing that I wanted to ask you this morning is how on earth do we teach the police to stop handcuffing our children when they're having a meltdown? Like, how do we do that? But you just described for me that there's a rule structure and the police officer says, stop doing this. And if they don't, they have learned what's effective at getting, because you're not listening to me, what's effective is I handcuff you and they have not realized that this is like crazy to do to children. There's another yeah. story in the news today about a girl, like a seven-year-old girl on the spectrum being handcuffed by a police officer because she's having a meltdown. And I want to be able to, like what, what I heard you clearly just say is that as long as it's effective, they're going to keep doing it. I want to stop having that be effective for the police officers um, yeah. because it's their go-to and they continue to, and it's not just kids on the spectrum. And I don't want to take this to a whole political level, but it is the modality that we have given the police without giving them another way of getting their needs met, which is to get someone to comply. Um, and I, and I, it just, I had that epiphany when you were talking, I just want to remind people, it is not just kids on the spectrum who have this issue where they're acting way too aggressively for a circumstance because they feel like they're not being listened to and it works. So I don't know if you want to say anything to that, but, um, but somebody said, I wish I had that knowledge years ago. It would have made the last three years completely different, right? When we get it that our kids are not wrong, weird, or different, it's just 
that they don't, they're frustrated and they don't have a way of communicating, it changes things. Right. No, I, you're absolutely right. And uh, unfortunately, I see that right. we're out of time. Yeah. I um, uh, Hello to the person from Morocco. Yeah. It's nice to have people also from different parts of the world join us today. And, and that's where I'm headed right now. I, I'm uh, getting on another Zoom call to work with a group of people who are opening autism clinics in Saudi Arabia. So I wish I'm very excited to be able to help them do that. Please give my love so. to that family. You know that uh, that I have met them and love them. So please give them my love. Thank you, uh, thank you so much, Dr. Grampy Shea, for giving us all so much information and so much help and hope. We so appreciate you. And I hope you have a, you a great call. Bye-bye. I just want to remind everybody that tomorrow we're here with Coach E. Elaine Hall from The Miracle Project. They've got a new video out that is really beautiful, and we can't wait to share that and information about what they're up to over at uh, The Miracle Project, which is mostly online right now. So even if you're not in the Los Angeles area, you're going to want to check them out. Then on Friday, it's the Halloween show on Friday. And if you've been watching over the years, you know that Nancy Allspot Jackson joins me on Fridays for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And uh, Nancy loves costumes and I love accents. That's where I'm always at is I'm always the, the accent girl. My, my costume is usually a hot mess, but um, <laughs> I have a good time. So uh, we've got something planned for you tomorrow. Uh, I think it's super fun. I'm, I'm waiting to see how it works out. Uh, that's not tomorrow, on Friday. So please join us on Friday. And we're also going to be joined, I believe, I've been told, uh, by Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz-Asner to talk about the very special Halloween party that's happening at the Ed Asner Family Center, which all of you could be at with your kiddos. So, because it's virtual. So make sure that you tune in tomorrow and on Friday. Special programming note, uh, I want to let you guys know that we have a special a week from tomorrow, which is November 5th. I know, like how did we even get to this point in the year? We are doing a special town hall later in the day. It will be at 4 p.m. Pacific time, so that's 7 p.m. Eastern time. And I don't know around the world, you'll have to do the math for me, but we're doing a town hall about conservatorship for individuals on the autism spectrum, when and why and how, and does it have to be, you know, I know a lot of people look at it as taking away somebody's rights. Does it have to be that? Or is there a way that you, it can be of support and not take away someone's rights? Uh, does it have to be all or nothing? Uh, I know a lot of families want to be able to continue helping their child medically and to be informed about medical things, but, um, but they don't wanna take away other rights for their adult child. So we have a special family law attorney who's gonna be helping us out. It is a free webinar. You're gonna to start to see the way that you can register for it, but it's a week from tomorrow. All right, uh, much love to all of you. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.